Hello and welcome to the PBS Matters podcast. This is part one of our second podcast on the topic of practice leadership with Roy DeVoe from the Tizard Centre. This episode was recorded on Thursday the 13th of June 2019. We hope you like it. Hi everybody and welcome to episode three of the PBS Matters podcast. Uh, here with me today, Joe Colson. Hello. And we are delighted to be joined by Roy DeVoe. Good afternoon. <laughs> and Roy's joining us today to talk about practice leadership. So, Roy, we're going to jump straight in. What do you know about practice leadership? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good question, Harry, <laughs> because what what do you, people do know about, and you can ask anybody what they know of leadership, and everybody mm-hmm. will have an opinion on what they think of as leadership, mm. um, whether it goes back to Churchill being a great leader during the war, and most <laughs> people do tend to think of, unfortunately, as leadership as being owned by one single person. Mm. That's maybe appropriate during war times, but even Churchill had to have support from the country and support from his immediate colleagues for leadership to be of any importance and impact whatsoever. It was one of my favourite sayings, and I put this up on the slide, and Paddy always uh, comments on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put the slide up. What makes a, a leader? And people will offer various things like they're able to create a, a vision, a direction. Motivate people. Motivate people, yeah. All those things. Then I'll put the next slide up, it says followers. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. Leaders are created in a sense by having people follow them. And if you've got a if you've got somebody who thinks they're a great leader and all they're doing is talking to themselves, that's all they're doing is talking <laughs> to themselves. Yeah. They may be a messiah or something like that, yeah. but they're certainly not a leader. Or deluded. Or they're, <laughs> or they're deluded, absolutely bad. Yeah. So, so, so leaders are people that are able to attract people to follow their ideas and their practices. Mm. And when we, when we come on to practice leadership, I suppose that's, that's it. So somebody who's able to get other people to follow their practices and I guess we're talking about staff here, or, or it could be families as well, because practitioners, PBS practitioners, work within families as well as within services. And they want people to follow the practices that they think are going to get the right outcomes. Mm. Mm-hmm. You two are practitioners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you're actually looking for followers, mm-hmm. for, for the practices that you think are the right ones. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I can't, and we'll put these in the show notes as well, but there's a great paper that came out about, uh, by Tinkani, I believe it was, about competencies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what are the competencies required for your particular setting? And when I think about practice leadership on a very basic level, it's how are we supporting people that are working within that system to engage in the right 
behaviours and what the right behaviours are is context specific. I mean, there are some kind of core ones that run across, but you know, school slightly different to a residential care mm-hmm. home that might be slightly different to, to a hospital setting. But essentially, for me, at a very basic level, that practice leadership is how are we supporting the right things to happen here? Yeah. That's a very good point. And we just heard today in the 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 SIG group, the PBS SIG, that um, one person that's working to improve practice leadership at a service level, works for a very big organisation in the country, I won't mention their names. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were working to improve practice leadership at a service and an individual level. All of a sudden, when she was doing that, she learned that somebody else in this huge organisation had arranged for everybody to have leadership training. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm assuming it might be um, oh, it's the IPM, there's a, just a, a leadership programme going out. And I am afraid, in my views, they're not practice leaders. They're not practice leadership, they're teaching. What they're trying to do is to teach a set of generic ideas and theories that people then might apply to their context. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're talking about practice leadership, PBS, we need to help people to learn those skills that is relevant to PBS mm. and relevant to staff. Now, I suspect that these generic leadership things like creating a vision creating a culture or mm-hmm. motivation uh, at a service level I suspect they're pointless although mm. you might want to cut that bit <laughs> <laughs> now I would fully agree with you in all yeah. honesty but having been someone who's been on management training and then have my behavioral science sort of background mm. you do just go like wow you're talking about a load of really sort of non-tangible processes like what does that actually mean it's like okay now I can navigate around our policies I know what they say but it doesn't inform my practice at all and it definitely doesn't inform the practice of the people that I'm managing I need to be there and present for that to happen we we had some interesting conversations today actually I think as always of course but um this kind of concept of what perhaps as recognised as old school leaders or management within services, like you say, given the taglines, we treat people with respect and Mm -hmm. values and so on and so forth, whatever it might be. But then there's a conversation from one of the practitioners in the group about helping to operationalise some of that. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it's really interesting that that's where practice leadership can come in. So people that talk about respect and values and all that kind of stuff, that's that's great, that's great. But actually, how do we support that stuff to happen in Mm -hmm. services? And I think that's where looking at that whole system and that community, so hopefully, you know, some of us that have had that kind of behavioural training that... Um, can help support the development, our acquisition and maintenance of new mm-hmm. skills with people, staff, and the people that we're supporting, have a part to play in amongst, uh, alongside kind of management that hold resources, budget, etc., with um, <clears throat> the leaders of a service that, that are those key staff members that are the real influencers for what happens minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day within mm. services. But even those things like respect we can begin to behaviourally define that. Absolutely. So how do we know that someone's being supported with respect yeah. 
it's also about, okay, are staff actually focusing on the person? Are they communicating at their level rather than being there on their phone or reading the newspaper? Do we knock when we enter a room? Yeah. Do we, I was in the service a while back and um, there was a flow of staff through this flat. what's happening here and they said well it's easier for us to go through than it is to go around outside and I said guys you can't do that (laughs) you know you can't do that right one of the things I was um, again I think might be useful for the listeners in one of your papers you talk about the need for a practice management and leadership framework Mm -hmm. um, rather than the kind of old school managerial versus leadership kind of concept yes so I did a, an interview study with a group of, I think it was 19 managers. Most of them were what we would think of as good, in fact, great practice leaders. And it struck me that they, they're they struggling with the huge amount of administrative work that they mm. have to do. Yeah. And I'm afraid probably digital technology has made that even worse. <laughs> um, but they've got a, a massive amount of emails reports people are calling for, they've got uh, any number of things that they need to update, financial budgets, some organisations, and I think Paddy, uh, one that you know very well, has now designated their service managers as business mm. managers. Mm. And so there's there's this, and then on the other hand, these, these good practice leaders I interviewed, they were also discussing their their passion that they wanted to know what was going on Mm. on the floor within services, how service users' lives were progressing and how staff were supporting that. And they had this almost a desperate need to be aware of what was going Mm. on from Mm. their personal observations rather than having feedback and they just weren't happy at all with um, just reading reports. Mm-hmm. of what was going on. In a sense, they just didn't trust what was in written reports. So they had this need to understand and influence what was happening in, in practice on a day-to-day basis in service users' lives. And that led me to um, another scheme which looked at the way that you can link this idea of leadership and management and leadership in that sense is just the ability to influence uh, a group of people. So it's, it's exercising social influence within your group. Management is the operation and the implementation of an organization's practices, policies and procedures. The formal structures. The formal structures, absolutely. And so leadership is operating within the informal relationship structures within mm-hmm. a service rather than the uh, formal driven um, policies and procedures of an organisation. So those are the two aspects really that um, service managers have mm-hmm. to do and for me there should be a balance between both of those. Mm. And I think at the moment they're being, uh, the leadership aspects, practice leaderships are almost being a uh, use a strong term, crucified by their need and their, the drive from this, the organisation to produce administrative and management outputs. Yeah. One of the things that we previously spoke about as well was that sort of practice leader. We're talking about here at the moment, um, you know, them leading by example of good practice, 
but we also have spoken about that unfortunately they can also lead people towards not so great mm. practice because of those people having that social influence. Mm. We, if one of the things we spoke back to that, was really interesting to me, you know, I think the, the relevance and the importance of practice leadership underscored again this month with the Panorama programme mm-hmm. on Walton Hall. And interestingly, you know, once your stomach stops turning and once, once your, 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 your anger dies down and, and, and all of that, <clears throat> and I'm able to kind of think carefully about what do we do in light of those, uh, that kind of information coming out. And interestingly, there's almost a reverse engineering task to be done in some respects, because hopefully Roy will talk about this in a minute, but the concept of distributed practice leadership, mm-hmm. and I think also I might try and steer Roy, is I think that there are man- some managers might be out there scared because of the breadth of their role at the minute. I have so many services to manage. They're further and further away from practice. Now I'm expected to be a practice leader. Actually, I think for managers, we want them to be able to facilitate practice leadership, and we'll come back to that. But this Walton Hall program, what you saw there was actually practices being led really well and distributed across a team, just awful practice. So when we're able to reverse engineer that and look and go, why? And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm well read at the minute, and Roy was coming on and but... <laughs> In one of Roy's papers, he talks about um, the shadow system being the informal culture that's really influential over the practice people. And again, when I was watching the Panorama documentary, that's one of the things that struck me. The shadow system here is ruling the roost. Mm-hmm. Because actually, the company policies, etc., etc., you know, all sound good. And it was rated good by, the, uh, by CQC before that. But what was actually happening? as a result of that kind of shadow system. So when I talk about reverse engineering, I think there's a task for us to go, well, what is happening there? Because that culture was so well embedded mm-hmm. and looked so consistent. And all the things that we strive for in PBS, mm-hmm. they had it nailed on, but for awful, no, awful way, practices. Way. Yes. Yeah. We can't avoid this discussion on culture and cultural forces and informal interaction patterns. And I guess that's the leadership aspect of the that framework. I've got that diagram of comparing management with leadership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And management is largely gets their information in structured approaches, paper-based approaches. Whereas the leaders that I talk to, the good practice leaders, they want it to be involved in and part of these informal cultural structures. And Developed a presentation that I do now. Joe is probably going to ask me to tell you a bit more about <laughs> it. In a but it's, it looks at a couple of these fundamental <coughs> human aspects that we all have. And one of the ones that was struck me was the, the recent advantages in neurobiology. So we tend to think of organisational culture as being... Um, people's behaviours, people's attitudes, people's beliefs. We actually also need to recognise it as part of their biology as well. It's, it's not something we can do anything about. All of our brains are, have got specific neurons and pathways which are, are 
take account of other people around us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, uh, most of the things we can't actually see, you could, you could obviously see in a staff team if uh, a group of staff are ganging up on another member of staff and ignoring them, sending them to Coventry, as they used to say. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of planned ignoring, in a sense, mm -hmm. of people. And, uh, you know, they might arrange to go down the pub in the evening and they'll exclude this person. You can observe that. Much of what we do in, in, a, in a group term, in small groups, we all work mostly in small groups, is, it goes on unconsciously. We're constantly mm. monitoring each other, each other's facial expressions, mm. um, trying to judge their intentions and motivations. Mm -hmm. And that gives these, these small group cultures their power, absolute crucial power. And anybody that's trying to, like a PBS practitioner, like you, you two are doing all the time, I thank goodness, don't try and do that now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the only times I did, I was the, the manager, so I was there and present. I, I've tried being a practitioner and just doing behavior support plans. I don't like it because I, I'm aware of how difficult it's going mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. to create that culture within that small group Considering that they've got these biological feedbacks between them, I'm not sure I can devise a plan that's strong enough mm -hmm. to overcome all the um, preconceived and already existing patterns of behaviour mm. with the plan that I'm going to devise. Yeah, mm. I, that's something that I always try and pay attention to is sort of like the way that we conceptualise that is the contingencies in the environment. Mm. So if you've got that one member of staff who's bought into the plan and doing it and no one else is, mm. then that can lead to that member of staff being ostracised or, mm. you know, like brown nosing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so then that doesn't work. So actually they don't want to follow the plan because it's not reinforcing from the staff team that they're in the environment. And we had a really, again, an interesting conversation this morning on uh, that matter. And so, and again, <laughs> it's one of the reasons I like this. It gives me a slap in the face sometimes. Is <laughs> very often when we go into a service and you're working on an assessment and a support plan for an individual and you find that staff member that's your, you know, uh, your golden apple, as our old friend Netta would say. Mm. Um, and you find your golden apple. Then you end up spending a lot of your time working with that golden apple. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, previously my thinking had been this is one of the ways of getting some distributed practice leadership is getting buy-in from the staff team. But actually the conversation we had this morning is sometimes it's actually reinforcing for us practitioners when somebody is speaking your language, when mm -hmm. someone is saying, yes, this needs to change and I like what you're talking about. But are they the influencers within that staff team? Are they pervasive mm -hmm. in that shadow system? And so it's really made me think today that actually I need to take a little bit more time really getting to know those staff teams or people in that setting to really try and get an understanding of who is influencing what happens around here. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think you spoke something then, Roy, about kind of a, a core. Oh, we're trying to turn practitioners like yourselves ought to think more of trying to create um, core cultural teams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're you're working at. Um, so let's say you're taking your your golden apple. Yeah. It's really reinforcing as a practitioner going yeah. in. You know, as a friendly face. <laughs> it's something yeah. speaks your yeah. language. So he smiles when he turns up. Smiles. Yeah. You know, where the rest of us 
stuffed him with skulking in the loo or outside having a fag. Spitting in my tea. Yeah, it's, it's that sort of thing, yeah. Um, so they're, they're very compelling. But then what you need to do then is the, uh, the, the, the practitioner coming in. You then need to work with this, uh, we call them a golden apple, the key member of staff that's already aware of what you're trying to achieve and wants to try and support it. You then ask them, with the service manager's agreement and support, hopefully, that they then choose preferably a couple of other members of staff to work with. So you're then trying to help your golden mm -hmm. apple to become mm -hmm. a practice leadership, mm -hmm. become a practice leader within that team. And then if you've got, say, the manager and three people that are all in line with your your plan and are aware of what you're trying to achieve, all those sorts of things, and have got some motivation and buy-in and ownership, all those sorts of feelings about the plan, well then it's very much harder for the rest of the staff team or the culture within there to ignore mm -hmm. that. As it's, because mm. it's, a, it's a core team or it's a core cultural force. And I, I guess that's what practitioners would be needing to try to do. Mm. So it's 